that's, that's a really sweet presence of God here. I'm so honored to be here. Pastor Devin, we love you so much. We're so honored. I, I, I'm so incredibly honored that um, we don't take it lightly that we get to come and be a part of your family. It means so much to us. I think out of all the places we minister to, this is like, this is the place that we want to be. This is the place where we want to come. This is the place that feels like home. Because there's something about your own tribe. When you speak the same language, there's something really beautiful. And I'm incredibly honoured. We're so thankful. Thank you so much for really loving us so well. Thank you for just... We met seven years ago at a Pearl event. We were both speaking at a Pearl event. And my husband, who you're going to get to know, my husband is a seer. And so he, it see, when he sees visions, it's like dreaming awake. In fact, they're so vivid. They're not like just in your mind's eye and your imagination. The whole world peels back. And I remember just before the Pearl event, he said to me, Tan, God has shown me that you're going to make a new friend and it's going to be a lifelong friend. And guess who that friend is? Well, you know what? I didn't just get a friend. I got a sister. Because one thing, my husband and I, we're from New Zealand. We've been in ministry for 30 years. We've traveled the world. But we came here with just our own little, our little kids, no family. And so for me, it's not just friend, you're my sister. And I love that I get to do life with you. I am so honoured. Pastor Devin and Pastor Kevin, they inspire me. They challenge me. I look at the way she preaches and I'm like going, God, I love what she carries. Give me what she carries. Um, but we're so honoured to be here. Thank you so much. You can take your seat. We're going to have a special time tonight. I, we had an awesome time with the Bible College students this morning. And I'm going to share a little bit because where I want to go with you tonight is I'm going to share a little bit about our journey because I feel like if we're family, and I, Matt and I feel like we're the auntie and uncle that come in. I want to be the cool auntie. You know how every family has a cool auntie? I want to be the cool auntie and he wants to be the cool uncle. But the thing is, though, the thing about family is we know each other. And so tonight I want to share a little bit about our story and who we are and the journey that God has had us on. And God's being very specific about me sharing this with you guys because I believe the one thing that I know about family is that all of us carry the same DNA, and I suspect there's many of you in the house tonight that carry the same DNA as Matt and I. Because that's what family are like. And so tonight I'm going to share a little bit about my story. I'm going to recap for the Bible. Where are all my students that were here this morning so I know where you are? I, I didn't want it to stop. Could you tell? I love Pastor Devin, these guys are like, I'm back in a flash. I'm coming back. We've got more. We've got, we've got business to finish. We've got more stuff in store. 
But you know what? I want to, it's not fair that if you hear a little bit about our story and everyone else is trying to pick up. So I'm here tonight to share a little bit about our story. There's a purpose behind it. So I'm going to start with a little bit of part A, which I told the students. I'm not going to go full into depth, but I want to bring you up to speed. And the reason I want to do this is the simple thing is who you are and what you carry has never been more needed or more necessary in the kingdom of God than it is right now. And we're living in a very unique time in the living in a critical time in the kingdom. And one thing I know, that if the enemy can't steal your salvation, he will come after your purpose. All day, every day. And he'll get you living um, a life that God never intended you to live. So um, a few few, uh, women of fire ago, how many, what, two years ago, I think I was speaking on the platform and I started with a story and I want to share this story with for you, those of you that weren't here. A friend of mine, we can just stop just for a little while and then I'm going to get you to pack up because we are going to go into a ministry time. A friend of mine moved into one of the brownstones in downtown Franklin. Who's familiar with downtown Franklin? And so you've got that little brownstone community. Are you familiar with that brownstone community in downtown Franklin? They're these beautiful little brownstone homes, and they're all in a tight little spot. Anyway, my girlfriend moved into the, one of the brownstones, and the brownstones, they're quite, they're quite an affluent little neighborhood. They're worth about probably $3 million each for a home. So she's in with her new neighbors, her bougie neighbors, and... She had just moved into her apartment, her, her brownstone, and her husband, who was a Delta pilot, an international Delta pilot, was on a long-haul flight overseas. And she said she'd only moved in for just a week or two, and her husband was on an overseas flight, and in the middle of the night, her alarm went off. Her alarm's going off in the middle of the night. And so she's new to this area. And I don't know about you, but in my household, the person that takes care of the alarms and takes care of the pins is my husband. And so she was exactly the same. This alarm is going off and she's starting to feel panicked because she has no idea what the pin is to stop it. So she's acutely conscious that the early hours of the morning, she is waking all her neighbors up with the alarm that is blaring across the whole courtyard of all these brownstones. So she said she got up and she was trembling. You know how when you get up at the middle of the night and you feel a little shaky when you have to get up? So she's getting up and she's trying to pin in the coat. And she's coming up with every possible combination her husband could come up with. And finally, she managed to get the code. And she was so relieved. She managed to get the alarm to stop. And she kind of jumped back into bed and her heart was racing. Do you know how your heart races? And you feel exhausted. And she said she fell back into bed and she was completely exhausted and she managed to finally get herself back to sleep. But she woke up in the morning and she said to herself, hang on, an alarm goes off for a reason. But I was more interested in silencing the alarm so we could all go back to sleep. There's an alarm going off in the kingdom of God at the moment. 
There's an alarm going off in the kingdom of God at the moment and many church leaders, many Christians are more interested in silencing the alarm so they can go back to sleep. I think one of the greatest tragedies over the years that we have found and we have seen over the years, and this is one thing that I'm astounded with, is I'm astounded with how many Christians, how many leaders, how many authors, how many worshipers that have been walking with God for 10, 20, 30 years now walking away and tapping out and even renouncing that God exists. I don't think for one moment when many pastors who surrendered their life, who went to Bible college, who are now walking away from their faith, ever thought in a million years that they themselves would be the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. But that's what we've got at the moment. We've got many people by the droves walking away from church, walking away from their call, walking away from the plans of God that they have for their life. So I'm here tonight to preach a message to say how to protect the call over your life. Because let me say, the enemy wants to come after it. And if he can't come after it, he wants to silence the alarm and dumb you down. You know, according to Barna, I was speaking to for a conference for Barna, and Barna is a research group. Um, they estimated that three and a half thousand believers walk away from church every day in the USA. Three and a half thousand believers walk away from church every day. And like I said, we are now at a time in the kingdom where who you are and what you carry has never been more needed or more necessary than it is right now. And I want to encourage you, who you are and what you carry, God chose you to be here at this time in his story. You have been divinely chosen by God to be here. The way you're wired, the gifting that is over your life, God has been intentional about that. I want to be clear. God did not take a coffee break and COVID happened. He's up to something and that something actually is you. A lot of us are waiting to see what God's going to do. Do you want to know something? He's already done it. He placed you here. So our responsibility as believers is to partner with what God is doing in this hour. Um, so, well, like I said, the message that I want to preach tonight is how to protect your walk with God and fulfill His plan for your life. We pray. Father, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you for every life that is represented here tonight. Lord, you read our life like no one else could ever read it. Lord, you see us like no one else can see us. And so, Father, I just pray tonight, God, that you would open our ears to hear your sound, hear your voice. Open our eyes to see what you're doing in this hour. And open our hearts to respond. In the name of Jesus. 
Matthew 16, 24 to 27 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. When I was speaking, we were speaking with the students early this morning. And one thing we shared, we shared a little bit about our journey. Several years ago, my husband and I have been in ministry for 30 years, but years ago, God called my husband and I to go move to Uganda, Africa. Now, you don't just pick up your family and move to another nation. God made it very, very clear that he was taking us to another nation. It was never something that we had in mind, but who knows that God knows us better than we know ourselves. I mean, my background was actually worship, praise and worship, and I I had pigeonholed myself and I had said, this is my gifting, therefore I shall do this. And God says, oh, no, 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 daughter, there's far much more over your life. And so I had no idea how suited I was going to be in Uganda and how well um, God had designed me. But he took my husband and I on a journey to move to Uganda. And when we left for Uganda, God gave us the impression that it was a permanent move. Now, when we moved to Uganda, how we got there was my husband, before Bible college, wrote the business plan for a hospital in New Zealand that was so successful, they rolled it out across seven hospitals. And so what had happened was we had been in ministry for years, and the truth was we were root-bound and we were bored. And I was like, God, I want more. I read your word. I want more. And he says, oh, daughter, I'm about to give you more. But it wasn't in the way that we expected. He began to open the doors and he gave us an incredible invitation to pioneer medical work in northern Uganda. So we move our little family. And let me just say something. It's amazing how every horror story manages to find you when you decide to step out and do something for God. Who's found that? When God wants you to do something and it's like the enemy comes up with a whole list of why you can't do it. Or maybe your friends come up with a whole list of, well, that's not a good idea. But who knows? God, um, you will constantly come to borders and thresholds where the enemy says you get to go this far and no further. And your perception of who God is will profoundly impact what happens next. So Matt and I were invited to work with a ministry that was responsible for 2,000 orphans, 2,000 HIV widows, and 500 ex-child soldiers. And we were actually asked to pioneer a hospital in Kampala, a children's hospital. The average age in Kampala at that time was about 15. There was no children's hospital. There was no designated children's hospital. And we were also asked to do some medical work in the north. So we arrived with our little family in Uganda. And, you know, we were super excited. We got a big send-off from church. We had a lot of prophetic words. And there is something. When you get a send-off from church and you get some prophetic words, we felt like legends. We felt like dead set legends. And we hadn't even done anything yet. Isn't that fun? Isn't that amazing when you get a prophetic word? Doesn't it make you want to do a victory lap and high five everyone on the way out? 
You haven't even done anything, but just the thought that God wants to use you and He's got plans for you. Well, Matt and I were no different. I was doing all the victory laps just before we left. I was high-fiving everyone on the way out as we were leaving Australia, having no idea what God was setting us up for. So we arrive, and I'm just living my supremo call. I already felt like I had won the lottery with God. And so we arrive in Kampala and I'm thinking, we have been led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to get here. And then it was like he just dropped us off. And so I didn't like that too much. And where he dropped us off, he dropped us off in the middle of absolute poverty into a little house that it was like five miles off an almost undrivable road. We had our little kids with us. And we move into this house. They had signed, the ministry that we came to work with signed us a three-month lease just to get us started. They said, look, we've got a house for you. It's going to get you started. You're going to get anchored in here and get, find your bearings and see how you go. So we move into this house. So we didn't pick the house. They picked a house for us. Well, let me just say something. This house had no electricity after 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So by two o'clock in the afternoon, no electricity. And by the time the evening came, we were sitting in pitch black. And to make things more exciting, we had bats inside the house. And I say they're like flying mice. Matt said they're more like flying rats. So here we are. Here I am walking out my supremo call. I've got all these fantastic prophetic words. God's called us to this nation. I'm so excited to be used by God. You think he could at least deal with the bats for me? Like, it's like that was the least he could do, but no. Then things began to change for us. Our first week, we had someone killed outside our gate. And things became really real. We realized, oh, hang on. See, my beautiful Christianity did not translate well in a new setting. See, I hadn't had to learn to trust God in this setting like this before. I didn't have to worry about this back in Australia. But now God's placed me in a setting where I have to go a little deeper and trust Him. And let me just say something. My flesh was screaming. Because there's one thing to ruin your life. There's another thing to ruin your kid's life. And it's amazing during that time, it's like every giant in that nation came out and introduced themselves to us and let us know that we were in their territory. And so one thing I've learned, whenever God's calling you to take territory, there'll always be the presence of giants. That is the classic sign that God is setting you up to take territory. Have we had any giants recently? Oh, let me just think, the COVID giant? The political giant? What about the financial giant? Or maybe the employment giant? What giants have been rearing their head? Because uh, let me just say something. Like I said earlier, your perception of who God is will profoundly impact what happens next. So we had someone killed outside our gate. I remember we took our little kids in the car and we were learning to drive in Kampala. And Kampala is like you've got millions of people and if there's no real road rules, it's like find a spot and fill it. And you can fill it with cars, you can fill it with chickens, you can fill it with goats, you can fill it with bicycles, you can fill it with whatever. And it's just everyone for themselves getting to whatever point they can. 
And so I, as a mama, was super conscious that I was taking my babies and I'm trying to explain and kind of keep them okay. Jeshu, do you want to know a really cool story? Before we moved to Africa, we said to our son, Gabe, we were telling our kids that they were moving with us to Africa. And my son, Gabe, says to me, well, mum, will we get a certificate for doing it? I said, I'll make sure you'll get a certificate. And then another thing he said to me, he says, Mom, will there be wheat bakes? Now, wheat bakes is like Weetabix. I mean, you guys know what Weetabix says. It's like, it's like in Australia, it's like the breakfast. It's like the Cheerios for Australia. And so my son, when he was a little boy, that's all he had. He was like, he would have had wheat bakes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was his favorite thing. And I remember that was his biggest concern moving to Uganda is there will there be Weetabix? Do you want to know the crazy thing? Is, and I'm going to tell you something. The shopping in Uganda is not like the shopping here. I'm going from hut to hut and I am pollinating Kampala trying to find some things because we were there at a time where there wasn't a lot of infrastructure. And I remember we had told our son, yes, I think God will take care of that. And I remember saying to God, God, and God said to me, if you take care of what's on my heart, I'll take care of what's on your heart. And so the craziest thing, would you believe it? The whole time we were there, guess what we had? Weetabix. It was so random. It was like the most random ingredient to have in that nation. But God made sure that my little boy had exactly what he needed. But we arrived, so we're in the early days. We're in Kampala. We're in the traffic. We're stuck in traffic. And out of nowhere comes this kid who is possessed up to his eyeballs and starts manifesting, doing a a manifesting dance, a demonic dance, a voodoo dance around our car. And his eyes are shaking back into his head and he is shaking and he is rattling and rolling. And I remember being completely freaked out because my poor little kids hadn't experienced anything like this. And so their eyes are like saucers and I'm screaming at Matt, get the worship CD, get the worship CD on because we all know that worship is like a spiritual Febreze. It's going to clear the atmosphere. And I'm thinking, I'm going to need the worship CD playing 24-7. You know, we got, we got through it. But within our first month, much to our absolute horror, at one o'clock in the morning, we went through 20 rounds of a semi-automatic machine gun. I remember being devastated by this. I remember Matt said to me, let's get down, let's get our kids, let's pull them into that room. And I remember my son just asking me on the bed, mommy, are they going to kill us? Are they going to kill us? And I'm like going, no. But the reality is I didn't know. I hadn't learned to trust God like this. I hadn't been in this setting before. And like I said, my beautiful Christianity was learning, having to go way deeper than what I'd gone before. I remember the next morning, my husband and I, we found out that it was a guard that had gone rogue. Um, But the next morning, I remember crying with my husband. We were both crying, weren't we? And he's looking at me. He's going, I know, no, Tan. And I said to him, how long do we have to stay here for? Because we'd had a big send-off from church. 
Do you know what I mean? Like we want to, we didn't look, we didn't want to look too bad. But you know, it's tough when you get a big prophetic word from church and you get a big send off. We couldn't just turn around and come back. We had to kind of give it a go. So I said to Matt, "How long is a respectable amount of time for us to stay?" Because the reality was, I wanted out. My flesh wanted so badly to get out. Um, but the, the, the beautiful thing is, is that when Matt and I stopped magnifying the giants and started magnifying God, everything changed. And Matt said to me, Tan, I don't think God's brought us all this way to kill us. It wouldn't be a very good endorsement for missions, would it? That they gave up everything and they got killed. No, he said, Tan's up to, God's up to something far greater. So our role was to go work with this missions organization. In my husband's background, we're both pastors, but we were asked to pioneer medical work in, in Uganda, in Kampala, to do the hospital, and also do a hospital in the north. So you can imagine our first month there, we are, we're told that we have to go fix a hospital in northern Uganda. Now, in northern Uganda, this hospital was built in 1927, it had never had a refurbishment. It had had an Ebola outbreak. Surgeons were, you'd have patients sleeping on urine-soaked card. You had surgeons having to finish surgery with the light of their mobile phone. And the couple that we came to work with said to us, your first job while we're waiting for the hospital to get kicking in Kampala is to go fix a hospital in northern Uganda. And by the way, you used to have to drive in military convoy because what you guys need to know is that when we arrived, there was a war going on in the north. And there was a rebel army that was raiding villages in Gulu and they, he was, they were abducting children and turning them into child soldiers. So we were arriving in Uganda at a time where it wasn't a cool missions trip to go on. And so God was requiring us to go work in the north where terrible war had taken place. And these kids were being abducted. And what God wanted us to do was to pioneer and get the surgical, no, get the medical work happening and get the hospital happening. They, um, they said to us, we're going to now leave for the next three months. And we, we want you to fix that hospital and your budget is zero. And their parting words to us were, we'll soon see whether you're called. And I remember thinking, oh my, I wanted Jesus to return before they did. At that point, I didn't think I was called. I couldn't pull anything off. And that's the truth. You and I can't pull anything off. Whatever God wants you to do, can I just say something? You ain't going to be able to do it because you're not the hero to the story. God is. And so this is the incredible thing. We began to pull on some threads and within a very short space of time, my husband went up to northern Uganda into Gulu. He did an audit on the hospital. We put out a list. We wrote down a list. He went through the whole hospital. I mean, Matt is a genius with ministries and, and all sorts of missions and all that stuff. So he did a full audit on the hospital of everything that they needed. And then we came back. He came back and we just prayed into it. We had no connection. So we just began 
began to sow seed like a fishing line. You know when you're just, God, can you help us out? And we just started sowing out emails like a fishing line. God, is there anyone that's going to take this bait? But this is a beautiful thing about God. I know that when he's on something, he'll back it. But I also know if God's not on something, he doesn't have to pay for anything he's not on. And so within a very short space of time, we had two 40-foot containers of medical equipment being donated to the hospital. And then the miraculous thing was the government then got our, they got, we got their attention. Because the truth is with a lot of missions, people come in and they choose it to be more of a lifestyle. They more treat it like an episode of Survivor. And they come in, but very little gets done. And so the government were taking notice going, oh my gosh, you guys are really here to do something. Thing. And so then what happened was we were um, we ended up working with the local government and God um, ended up setting up a situation where Matt began to mentor the politicians in that region. And so in, in Uganda, the politicians, the government is set up. You've got chairmen over districts and you've got about 80 districts and you've got chairmen over each district. But then you've got the chairman over all the districts. And we ended up working with him. And he just happened to be the chairman over Gulu in northern Uganda. And so Matt was talking to him. He was looking to run for president. And Matt says, you know what? If you're going to run for president, you need to be president in Gulu. You need to read it. We need to redesign Gulu. And began to mentor him. And within a very short space of time, we had top city planners coming into Uganda to work with the government to redesign all of Gulu. It was like restoring streets to dwell in. And let me say something. When God is on you, you look better better than what you actually are. And so then what happened was because we had crazy favor, the international criminal court that have jurisdiction over that region, they work with the war crimes because it was tremendous war. Maybe some of you are familiar with um, the invisible children, all the kids that used to make the night walks. This, this was the region that we're in and these were the kids that we were working with. And so the international criminal court that have got the jurisdiction over war crimes said, will you work with us as well? And this was the first time this government was wanting to work with the church. And so what happened was they ended up giving my husband 3,000 victims of war crimes files. And we started a surgical program. And when I talk about war crimes, I'm talking about the sort of things that we're seeing with Hamas. There's things that are so demonically fueled. And so we were given these victims of war crimes files and, and Matt and we ended up finding 80, 80 people that had had their nose, lips and ears cut off by the LRA. And we were organising facial reconstructions so their faces got completely reconstructed. Um, God continued to give us incredible favor. And we'd reach out to other ministries during this time. And sometimes with ministry, you can get really silo-focused because you want to make a name for yourself. And you know what? I'm not about, Matt and I aren't about building our own ministry. We're about building the kingdom. And so at that point, we realized we had favor for hospitals. So we started going around all the hospitals saying, what do you need? What do you need? What do you you need because you know what we're not the hero to the story God's up to something and wherever we go we're salt and light we're supposed to make a difference and before we knew it we were helping out all these other hospitals as well God gave us crazy crazy favor
Um, so God led us after the International Criminal Court went away. Um, we ended up pioneering our own surgical program that a big church took on and they rolled it out across the world for us um, to work with war crimes. But I'm going to be honest with you, the need was still overwhelming. We weren't even touching the sides of the need, the, the desperate need for medical work in the north. Like the need was so great. Like I remember the files that Matt would go through and just meeting the, the victims of war crimes and many young kids still had shrapnel in their bodies that hadn't been tended to for years. There was like, there was so much need and the need was so great. It was like, we felt like we were swimming in an ocean of need. And so, you know, the war in Uganda, you had tens of thousands of children, like I said, had been abducted. And you had 1.6 million people herded into IDP camps. Thousands and thousands of people during this time were brutally killed. Some 21,000 children would make night commutes and walked about seven miles each night to Gulu in fearing that they would be abducted. They'd be packing themselves into schools and hospitals and other public buildings to find protection. The LRA um, had kidnapped, by the time we were there, had kidnapped about 20,000 children, mostly under the age of 13. Their trademark was mutilation. And like I said, their trademark was to cut their nose, lips and ears completely off. About 15,000 children managed to escape. And these 15,000 children, many of them needed surgery. Many of them needed help. But that whole region of the world that God called us to was in such desperation. And I was so honoured that when, you know, the interesting thing about that, as soon as the LRA moved, like God had us staking the ground. Like, this is my territory. You claim it for me. And so, like I said, we were barely touching the sides, the, me the sides medically. The scale of the people still suffering from bullet wounds, burns, mutilations. The need was overwhelming from years and years of war. So at that point, Matt and I realized we needed to upgrade our approach. We realized we've got to dramatically change what we're doing because what we're doing is not, not, not doing nearly enough and right next door to the hospital that we were working with was a small university with a medical unit. And I remember we were praying into this at the moment because often when God gets you to move into something, it's like sometimes it can be just right next door or right in front of you. 
And so while we're praying, God, what do we do? What's our next move? God began to highlight to us the university with the little medical students. And we realized by this point that we had global access to the medical fraternity. Matt and I were dealing with about 120 teams a year coming in to work on projects within our missions organization. And many of them were medical. And we realized, oh my gosh, we have an opportunity to actually do something significant with the medical fraternity in this region that could revolutionize the whole of northern Uganda. And so we began to pray into this and begin to believe, God, what could we do? We've got the ingredients to do something, God. What could happen? What could you possibly set up? And this is what we felt. We felt God was calling us to do a teaching hospital, a teaching alongside the university. So what, the, what we felt God was telling, asking us to do is like, you've got the university, they've got the medical school. It was just a small medical school. But if we built out that medical school, can you imagine if we had top doctors coming in to train Ugandan doctors? to upschool that whole region. Can you imagine if we managed to get state-of-the-art equipment for that region, that this would just blow this whole thing open. And so we were ecstatic and we had so many of the medical fraternity so willing and wanting to get on board with anything that we were doing because they could clearly see the hand of God on it. And so what happened was Matt organized a meeting with the university. Um, and we thought, you know, this is going to be brilliant to partner with them. We'll build a surgical facility, a training and teaching hospital, connecting them with medical doctors all around the world. We'll equip that whole region, resources, and new doctors coming up because the overwhelming need was great. The overwhelming need was great. And we knew that God would provide finance. We knew just from our story with the hospital, I mean, we ended up getting a million dollars given to us to go towards the refurbishment. Like God, like I said, when God is on something, he'll pay for it. You never have to worry if God calls you to do something. If he's on it, he'll pay for it. And so we already knew that God would take care of the finances. That wasn't even an issue. But we also realized that we wanted them to have a genuine partnership with us. We wanted the university to have a genuine partnership with us. For it to work, because they had to train the doctors. Now, they were sitting on quite a significant amount of land, weren't they, Matt? Like, how much land were they sitting on? About, what, 70 acres? It's easy, 70 acres of unused land. So we realized that, you know, one thing I've learned that if, you know, sometimes if things don't cost you anything, you don't put value on it. You know, the interesting thing is they did a study in, uh, there was one thing we found with a study, there was an area in, um, in Africa that they were, we were working with and they had a problem with malaria. And they ended up, the, the death rate was really high with malaria. And so what they did is they came into the community and they gave all the mosquito nets away. But the death rate didn't change. It stayed exactly the same. And they're thinking, hang on, they now have mosquito nets. Something should have changed. What's gone wrong? And so they realized, they went in and did a bit of investigation. And they realized that they were using these mosquito nets for everything but mosquitoes. And so when they put a little nominal amount on it, 
Then people bought them, they started using them for what they were. And so Matt and I learned this principle that there has to be some sort of value. People have to value what you're doing. So we said to them, listen, we want to build a hospital with you guys. We want to have a genuine partnership with you as a university. We're going to build the whole thing. We'll build out the whole facility, but you, and we'll help doctors will come in and work with you, but this is your baby. These are your students, and we wanted to have a genuine partnership. And we explained the vision and we met with the officials and they were ecstatic. They were so ecstatic that, that we were going to do this. And they were excited. They were, yes, we want in. We want to do this. We want to partner with you. And um, they agreed with us that they, we would do it for a small exchange of land. I think we only wanted like two or three acres out of there and you know so it wasn't even anything it was just nominal and they said we said look we'll take a couple of acres because we've got to build it but we want a genuine partnership with you um and we knew that this was going to change the landscape didn't we we were so ecstatic we were all elated Matt and I were super super emotional knowing that it would impact that region and even just thinking about it now it makes me really emotional not to mention the life changing that would go on in thousands and thousands of people's lives. We were we were just just super excited. About a week later, they got back to us and they asked for another meeting. And they said, yes, we really want to do this with you guys. But first, but first, we have some conditions that need to be met. For us to proceed, we've got a list of conditions that we need you to meet before we proceed with this. And before anything proceeds, this is what we're going to need from you. We're going to need you to build us a hotel. And then we're going to need you to build us a golf course. And then we're going to need a petting zoo. We were absolutely shocked. We were so shocked. Somehow things have got so horribly wrong and lost in translation. See, now it was no longer about the victims of war that had been devastated in that whole region. It was no longer about saving people's lives from pain. It was no longer about providing urgent medical help and training more doctors in the medical fraternity. So in turn, that they could go out and do this and transforming the medical landscape. It, it was no longer about that. Suddenly, it became all about them and what they personally wanted out of it. See, ambition will be about you. A genuine call from God will always be about others. And decisions began to get made on solely what would benefit them. See, it had now become transactional. It wasn't that they didn't want to do it. 
They assured us that they did want to do it. Oh, we want to partner with you. Yes, we want to see this happen. It wasn't that they didn't want to do it. It's just that they wanted to be taken care of first. They had conditions that needed to be met. And sadly, the teaching hospital never got up and running. It's probably one of our greatest heartaches. Probably like one of the saddest times in our life. This situation reminds me of scripture. I think about the crowds that mobbed Jesus while he was on earth, eager to be healed, taught and fed. There was multitudes that loved Jesus. They loved his healings, the miracles, the teachings, the signs and the wonders. Yet there was only a few that would be his disciple. Jesus, across his whole ministry, encountered people wanting to be his disciple. Jesus, across his whole ministry, encountered people that wanted in. Yes, Jesus, I want to serve you. Yes, Jesus, just like Gulu. Oh, we want in. We see the benefit. Yeah, we want to be a part of this kingdom. We want to be a part of a transformative kingdom. We want in. In Luke 9, 57 to 62, this is what it says. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, where I'm going, there's uncertainty. He said to another man, follow me, follow me. Why don't we build something together? Come follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, but first, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts the hand at the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus said, come follow me. And this man says, Lord, I want to follow you. God, I w- that wasn't the question. This man, he wanted to follow God. He wanted in. But first, he had a few conditions that needed to be met. But first, what he wanted, and you know, that doesn't sound unreasonable. But what this man was asking, he wanted to go back and wait for his father to die so that he could get the inheritance. So really what he was wanting, he's going, God, I'm going to serve you. I want to be with you. I want to be your disciple. But first, let me wait for my father to die. Let me get my inheritance because I feel like I'm going to need a little bit of financial security. And then I'm all yours. In other words, what he was saying, but first, I've got some conditions, Jesus. Whether you realize it or not, we can all have subtle conditions on fulfilling God's purpose. Whether you realize it or not, you can have subtle 
conditions on whether you're going to fulfill your purpose or not. God, I'm willing to serve you. God, I'm willing to give you my life. But first, I'm going to need my needs to be met. God, but first, I'm going to need everyone around me to do the right thing. But first, God, for me to serve you and to come into the call and the purposes that you have for me, at first, I need my gifts to be recognized. Or, but first, God, I'm going to need an apology. I'm going to need an apology from that person. God, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do, oh, Lord, I want in. But first, I need some things squared away. Then I'm all yours. Or maybe, but first, God, let me get married first. Or God, let me have a party. Let me give my single life. Let me just have fun. And then I will serve you. What is your but first tonight? Because let me say something. We all have them. Whether you realize it or not, is it but first the pastor's wife has to recognize me and what I carry? But first, I need to get credit for this. But first, they need to do it my way. Or but first, I'm going to need an apology. And like I said to the Bible college students this morning, one thing that God says to me, he says, Tan, when you gave me your life, did you give it to me or not? Or did you only give it to me if you get to do what you want to do? And so this is one of the greatest strategies of the enemy. Let me just say something. If you've got some but first, the enemy will accommodate that. Not a problem. But first, I'm going to need to be paid. But first, I don't want to have to die to myself. I don't want to have to die to my addictions, my money, my partying, my lifestyle. What are your but first? Because just like Matt and I were facing a situation in northern Uganda of multitudes desperate to encounter the goodness of God. There are multitudes and multitudes of people in the valley of decision at the moment, desperate here to encounter God. And many of us have put conditions on us being vessels and being used by God. What are your but first? What's the price tag that you have on your life to walk with God? Because like I said, the devil will accommodate you. The title of my message tonight is how to protect your call and your walk with God. When I look back over Bible college, when Matt and I went to Bible college, I look back over Bible college. When we all went to Bible college, like I had my Bible college students today. Notice I said my Bible college students. You are, you're my Bible college students. When we're with our Bible college students today. 
this reminded me of when we were in Bible college. So many of us were like passionate for Jesus. We were like, God, we're going to take this world for you. Jesus, we're going to be history makers for you. God, we are so in. And I remember just looking, there were so many of the Bible college students that were like the biggest screamers, the biggest jumpers, the biggest givers, the biggest preachers. But we look at them today. I would say out of the hundreds that we went to Bible college with, a handful are now walking with God in their call. This is scary because the Bible says in the last days there'll be a great falling away. And this is why I want to speak into protecting your gifting, protecting your call. What is your butt first? What price tag have you put on your walk with God? The word says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, I know that there's no one here asking for a hotel or a petting zoo or a golf course from God. There's no one here. But let me just say something. There is a pressure on at the moment in the church. There's a pressure going on in the kingdom of God at the moment. And every one of us is starting to feel the pressure and the squeeze. And the church today is like in a global of Garden Gethsemane. We are all currently facing like a global Garden Gethsemane where there is pressure coming against the church, coming against your call, coming against your walk with God. And like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he was under tremendous pressure. But what did Jesus do? And the pressure is calling the church the same way it called Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want you to miss out on what's coming. I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. It is so important that you make war on the limitations and the conditions that you have placed there. This is a time tonight that I want to spend a little bit of time. It's time to make war on the limitations. It's time to make war on the conditions. It's time to make war on those things that have just held you in a standing still pattern, not going anywhere. Let me say something. If your life looks like this, this time next year, there's something wrong. So many people, and I've said this before, so many people that Matt and I have mentored over the years think they're running a race for God, but in actual fact, they're only on a treadmill. Their scenery never changes. It's like church on Sunday, connect group Wednesday, Bible study Friday, repeat. Church on Sunday, connect group Wednesday, Bible study Friday, repeat. If your life is stagnant, what are the conditions? What are the conditions? Make war on those conditions. Because who you are is needed right now in the kingdom. Some of our no's have to become yeses. Jesus is inviting you into an experience. Jesus was inviting Gulu into an experience. Jesus was inviting that university 
into an experience. God was giving them an invitation. See, God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts him. He's always inviting us into experience. What would it look like? What would your life look like if you surrendered your butt first? What would Gulu look like today if they surrendered their butt first? What would that whole region look like today if they surrendered their butt first? You know, I was telling the Bible college students that when God called Matt and I to go move to Uganda prior to that, when we were poor Bible college students, and if it wasn't for the egg run at church and the bread run at church, we wouldn't have survived. We were so dependent on just people helping us out. And God at the time was so, so like insistent that we would tithe, I would tithe, that you tithe, you are going to tithe. And I struggled with it. I'm going to be honest with you. Matt and I are a real couple with real family, with real issues, with real life. And God was on my case. Tan, you're to give, you're to give, you're to give. Why did God do that? Why did God, why was God on my case? Because what God knew, God knew the plans that he had for me up ahead. And he knew that I was, we were going to be put in a situation where we had to provide for others. And he was teaching me that he could be trusted. And so I was having to learn that if I couldn't trust God for me, there's no way that I could learn to trust him for others. And some of the experiences that God's and the things that God is asking you to do is so you can experience what he's like. Everything that God asks you to do is not to ruin your life. It's not to ruin your fun. It's so you can experience what He's like. See, without experience, all we have is religion. All you have is religion. But the word says those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. It doesn't say those that sit on the front row will be strong and do great exploits. It doesn't say those that went to Bible college will be strong and do great exploits. It doesn't say those that are related to the pastor will be strong and do great exploits. It says those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. That puts us all on an even playing field. That puts you and I on an even playing field. And so when God asks you to do something, it's not so He can ruin your life. He knows the plans that He has for you. He knows the kingdom territory that He's got for you. And He's saying, son, daughter, step into this, what I'm asking you to do. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm trying to show you what I'm like. I'm trying to show you what I'm like. What would have Gulu looked like? What would Chattanooga look like? I'm just going to have the worship come up. We're just going to play. Love you to stand.
I want to make something clear. God did not anoint Matt and I to prove who we are. He anointed us to prove who he is. You know, the one thing with God is you can't thwart his plan. Like God will redirect things and God redirected us to do other projects. We ended up starting about seven businesses that provided vocational training for our kids, our orphans. And each of these businesses brought in about half a million US a year. So God redirected us. See, the one thing with God, God is the master chess player. If there's a blockage, he'll just take a different route. And so God had already moved on and we just knew. But the thing is, though, I want to just, this church is really special to me. Who you are is really special. You feel like family to me. And I want to see you come into everything that God's got for you. I don't want you to miss out. But I want to spend some time right now and I want us just to open our hearts as we just go into an atmosphere of worship. I just want you to open your hearts up before the Lord because I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to pinpoint some areas in your heart. And some of you know already just under the teaching and under the preaching, you know that the Holy Spirit is already convicting you on your butt first, God. This is a time, this is a time of full surrender to the Holy Spirit. What is your butt first? What is it? What have you been trying to negotiate in your heart? Because that area, and you know the Holy Spirit's on many of you right now. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it's like, yeah, well, God, I want to do this first. Then you've got me. Or maybe if my spouse gets saved... The beautiful thing I know about God, and like God did for me, when you take care of what's on God's heart, He'll take care of what's on yours. Why don't you just close your eyes? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, that you would just shine a light in our heart. Jesus, you read our life like no one else could read it. You see the real us. You see the us that no one sees. And God, tonight we come before you and we just surrender afresh to you. We lay it all down at your feet. We lay it all down at your feet. And we surrender. We surrender our need to be right. We surrender our need to get an apology. You know, I know some of you have been hurt. Some of you carry disappointment. And some of your hurts are really valid. But one thing I've learned with the enemy 
is if He can get you to stand still and stay on a treadmill so your scenery never changes. If He can't get your salvation, He'll get your purpose. And maybe you've been hurt and maybe you've been disappointed and it might have been with a church, it might have been with Christians, other Christians, and as a result, you've made a covenant with the enemy inadvertently and you've said, you know what, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to step into something. I gave it a go once, it didn't work, it went horribly wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. What is that but first? Yeah, I, I, I love God, but yeah, I, I, I need, people need to prove themselves a little bit more to me before I'm going to step out and do anything that God's got for me. Well, maybe not until someone recognizes my gifting because God, what's the point of it? Maybe these are some of the narratives that have been going over in your head. I need to have my gifting recognized, then I will step out. Don't you realize that your gifting makes way for you? Don't get stuck on a treadmill. If your life is like Groundhog Day right now, if your life and your scenery is not changing, because I can tell you, those who lose their life gain it. Can I just say, Matt and I have lived the most exhilarating, incredible walk with God, but it has been a constant surrender. But the thing is, though, it's been anything but a treadmill. But there is nothing more exhilarating being the answer to someone's prayers. Ambition will be about you. Too many people are chasing spiritual ambition. Too many Christians today are spiritually ambitious and spiritual ambition will be the thief of intimacy with Jesus. Do not treat your walk with God like a spiritual career path. Many Christians treat their walk with God like it's a spiritual career path, like step one, step two, step three, ta-da. Let me say something. And if you're walking with God, if you gave God your life, He's allowed to take you, do whatever He wants with you, where He wants, when He wants. Now, there is a massive repositioning going on in the kingdom of God at the moment. There's a massive repositioning in people's hearts and people's lives. There is a massive um, transition going on in the kingdom at the moment. And this is why it's so important to let go of your butt first. Because I believe the Spirit of God is wanting to reposition many of you for what is coming. The Spirit of God is wanting to get ready to call you to be a forerunner for what's about to take place in this nation and you're many of you have been looking in the wrong direction and so father with our hands raised tonight we surrender our but first to you God we take the limitations off you God we gave you our life we give you our life afresh tonight and some of you need to pray that prayer Jesus have all of me, not just a part of me. I'm going to hold nothing back. God, you've got me. You own me. You can take me. You can do with me what you want. 
Jesus, I am all in. God, I just don't want to be a follower. I want to be a disciple. I just don't want to be a fan of You. Jesus, I want to walk with You. Jesus, I want to walk with You. God, I want to know You. I want to experience You. I don't want what my, I think you're, my idea of You. God, I want You. I want to know You. So God, invite me into those places. Lord, what are those areas in my life that are stagnant? Where have I shut You down? Where have I said, no, 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 I don't want to go there. God, make war on those limitations that I've put there. Jesus, we stand against them right now in the Name of Jesus. Every stronghold, do you know how you get strongholds? Do you know how you get strongholds? How you get strongholds? And do you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is when the enemy has a stronghold on you. And how you get a stronghold is when you override the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And some of us have been overriding the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this needs to stop. This needs to go. And when you don't, when you override the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you give the enemy legal access to, to, to put a hook in your life and you end up becoming a puppet for the enemy. Some of you have got to deal with some strongholds tonight. Some of you have got to deal with those areas that you've said you've shut down and you've said, no, Holy Spirit, I don't wanna go there. I don't wanna deal with that porn addiction. I don't wanna deal with this. I don't wanna deal with that. I don't wanna deal with lying. I don't wanna deal with my marriage. Jesus is making war on those limitations tonight. Why? Because He knows the plans that He has for you. He knows the plans that He has for you the same way He knew He had the plans for Gulu, the same way He knew He had the plans for those 2,000 orphans, the same way He knew that He had the plans to do the facial reconstructions. He knows the plans He has for you. And so Father, I thank You. Lord, we surrender our life afresh to You. God, that we would be clean hands, pure heart, that we'd be so willing. God, give us an acute sensitivity, an acute sensitivity to what You're asking from us in this hour. God, that You would stir our hearts afresh. Lord, that we would flow with You. God, that we would be surrendered to You. And so tonight, Jesus, we surrender afresh to You. Have Your way. Jesus, have Your way, have Your way in our lives, have Your way in this nation, have Your way in Chattanooga, God, let our yes be yes, let our yes be yes, thank You, Jesus, thank You, Jesus, oh. thank You, Jesus. You've been called for such a time as this. This is your time on the playing field. You only get one life. You will never, ever, ever get to live this life again. 
this is it. This is your time on the playing field. You have been called onto the playing field. This is your time. This is a time where you and I are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is your time. You guys, this is your time on the playing field. God chose you to be here. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. God wants to anoint you to show the world who He is. And what the enemy does, he gets us looking inward. Unfortunately, what's happened for years, we've had a very needy Christian who wants to be ministered to over and over and over and over again. You want to be sozo to the cows come home. But there's a point where you just got to walk it out. Some of you have been like trying to fix yourselves for years and years and years. And it's basically saying the blood of Jesus isn't enough. And the enemy is quite happy to accommodate that. And see, that, you're, that can be your butt first. They can be your conditions and the enemy will keep you. He'll accommodate that.
the sweet presence of God. He's so sweet. He's so sweet. love when human words don't work. So just let this word sink deep in your spirit. If you need ministry tonight or you feel like the Lord is really, this word is moving your heart as it did mine. I'm just interacting with him. You can do that at your seat or this altar is open. Um, But I just believe the word of the Lord has gone forth and our hearts are yielding to it. That's what I feel in my heart. So this altar is open if you just want to seek him in a personal way. You can always grab the hand of the person next to you. But we say yes. So, Father, we thank you for your word that's gone forth tonight. And tonight, let this be a night that all conditions are removed. All conditions are removed. And let this be a night, Father, we're just like Mary. And we say, Father, be it unto us as you have said. No conditions. No boundaries. No limitations, Father over our lives, over our households, over this church. We say yes. And I just, I feel so strongly in my heart. There are some people that have heard this word tonight. And you look at past seasons of your life where you feel like things didn't go the way that you had planned or you missed moments or opportunities. And God is going to bring back around in a full circle moment what you feel like you lost because of conditions that tonight as you repent and you remove those conditions what may have produced failure in a past season God is going to bring back around for redemption I feel that so strongly just give him your yes so Jackson just play y'all play so beautifully and prophetically on those instruments these altars are open and let's just let the, word, the Lord seal this word in his heart. And when you're done, God bless you. Don't forget your children in the children's department. But you can be dismissed and we'll see you at church on Sunday. But we're just going to let the spirit of the Lord move. <laughs>